Today's podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. If you didn't know, SeatGeek is the official ticketing partner of the Brooklyn Nets. Whether you're trying to go to a Nets game, Liberty game, concert, or any other event at Barclays Center, you really only need SeatGeek. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Courtside Conversation. I'm your girl, Allie Love. After years on the hardwood as the in-arena host for the Brooklyn Nets, it's time for me to take it courtside. We're here with artists, athletes, and all of our favorite people to break down the game called life. We're getting real about the grow up and the glow up. So let's take a seat. All right, what's up, everybody? It's your girl, Ali Love. Welcome to Courtside Conversation, where today our special guest is Sam J. Sam J is a comedian and writer known for her Netflix comedy special, Three in the Morning, as well as her HBO comedy series, Pause with Sam J, and the Peacock series, Buzz Down. Taking a courtside seat is none other than Sam J. What's up? What's good? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I got to tell you, um, you have one of the smoothest voices of oh, anyone that I know. Wow. Thank you. I'll take, I'll, I'll eat that. I'll like, I like that. Yeah, it's true. Whether it's in person where I see you at the Nets games on the street, we run into each other or it's watching you on TV or of course, you know, in the podcast world, sincerely the voice is, it's oh, like, you. it's hitting, it's hitting. Mm, yeah. I like that. I'm going to tell my girl that. <laughs> All right. This is the way courtside conversation works. We got four quarters and a fun halftime. And we're going to talk about how you are winning at the game of life. Let's go ahead and get into the first quarter. Now, I know everyone that's tuning in, uh, or at least most folks are like me, where we just saw you people on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And you you played the character of a podcast host, which is kind of meta, right? (laughs) It's It's kind of meta in that, you know, you played a podcast host and you are a podcast host. Like, do, do you have to, do you have to research yourself on how to play a role that you naturally do, but on for well, TV? Well, I'm never, I don't have a podcast, but I've been on plenty of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, I guess have your own late night show is in a sense having a podcast, like exactly understanding the rhythm of what that is. So like that part of it was kind of like, I get what this is. I don't really have to like think hard about who this person would be in the world. You know what I mean? So then it was just like, making sure I could keep up with Jonah and play across from Jonah and, 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 you know, have it feel authentic and stuff. Yeah. Because I mean, that's what comedy is. It's like a live podcast. That's what you're doing. You have the mic and you're, you're, people are listening and laughing, but it's like that experience. So with that, you mentioned Jonah Hill, how was it working on that movie set? And I think the reason it's, I'm asking is because it's so timely and has been so impactful. Um, it was dope, you know. It's it's Jonah, it's Eddie, it's Nia Long, it's all these real heavy hitters, uh, um, and you know you're just kind of in the mix. David Duchovny, you know, Julia, and so mm-hmm. you're just trying to 
make sure your mic apps, you know what I mean? Like the list goes on and on. Kim Whitley. So I was just like overwhelmed as a, as a person who loves comedy, Dion Cole. I'm just like, whoa, everybody's here. I just hope that I'm, I'm being funny and, you know, I'm, I'm weirdly pretty quiet uh, in situations where I don't really know folks. You know what I mean? I'm very extroverted with my friends and very introverted as a person. So like, it's funny because I just saw Kim Whitley last night and she was like, girl, you was actually funny in a movie. I didn't know what was going to happen because every time I was around you, you were quiet as a mouse. You know what I mean? Because we didn't really have scenes together. So I would just be sitting there and she's like, comedians are usually like, eh, you're just like quiet. And then, so she wasn't sure how it was going to come off. Um, so I think like that was just the, the thing. I was just being very observant and uh, just trying to soak in everything I could soak in and then apply it and, and hope I was projecting what I was learning. Were you nervous at all? Because I think as a, for example, as a Peloton instructor, when I go out and I go take a fitness class, I'm not really concerned about being the best athlete in the room because I practice what I preach, right? It's not about necessarily being the best in the room. It's about getting the best experience. Um, I assume for a comedian, maybe it's quite similar. It's not about being the funniest in the room or getting the loudest laughter. It's about absorbing the experience, right? Uh, for you, what was that approach of going in where you, you know it's going to be heavy hitters, you are more of a reserved person. You get that feedback. Um, were there nerves? Of course, I was hella nervous. You know what I mean? Um, I just wanted to make sure I was contributing. I mean, I think that's what I was nervous about. Like, I just didn't want people to go home every night and be like, what the hell is this girl doing here? <laughs> you know, I just wanted to be like a part and make sure I was like giving something to the the movie and into the experience. So that's where the nerves were coming from was just me being like, I hope I'm not blowing this, you know? Yeah. But what does contribution look like in your capacity? Is it like, just, I'm going to contribute jokes or I'm going to contribute to the script, changing the script? I mean, just come contributing to just showing up and performing. Because if you mm. show up and you execute your your part, it allows everybody else to show up and execute their part. So it was like, I just hope I'm not the weak link in this chain. You know, I hope I'm also doing my part so that this chain is strong. Yeah. Was your um, approach to receiving the news that you're about to, you're about to be on this set, right? I know you've worked really hard. I've seen you at Comedy Cellar. You know, when you go to Comedy Cellar late night, you don't know who's going to stand on stage and you get folks in, whether it's the Village Underground one or the one around the street on Third Street or whatever, like you don't know who's going to step on the stage. Um, but when it comes to a movie, like you said, and there's been a long journey of making your name, making your name known, doing span, uh, specials, continuing to do stand up, and then you're on set with and doing movies. Uh, what What is it like receiving that news is it un does it unlock something in you that's like wow I've made it or or are you just like my head's down and focused? Yeah, the the second one, <laughs> 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 the second one because I feel like as soon as you get the news and you're like now nah, I gotta do it, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that's the first thing my brain goes to is like oh now you have to figure out how to execute this thing. Um, so it's like immediately head in the game like how am I gonna accomplish this? What's the one piece of advice and or takeaway that you have being on set? Because I can imagine folks that are listening to us have a conversation in their respective industries, whether athletes, artists, or work in any type of vertical environment. When you walk in a room, they always say one of the greatest gifts isn't what you always contribute, but what you can take away that can change your life. And so, like you said, you're on set with all these folks. You are giving great energy. You are showing up. You are performing at a level that you are proud of, um, that you know are, is contributing. But when you stepped off set and it was a wrap, it was all done. 
what was some of the greatest takeaways that you that you um, had? For me, it was just kind of like not to be afraid to ask questions just because the space seems large and like, oh, there's all these big players is like that, you know, sometimes as people will we have a tendency to get smaller in spaces like that, it'd be like, oh, I don't want to look dumb. So I'm just going to try to sit here and swim upstream and not. But, you know, even like also with my experience with SNL, I just kind of learned like, don't be afraid to ask questions. Like, don't be afraid to tap in and check in in your performance. Don't be afraid. You know, I would ask Jonah, like, is this working for you? Like, is this the pace you wanted this to, to go at? Or am I, you know what I'm saying? Like, just don't be afraid to ask questions. That sense of awareness of like checking in with how am I being received in this space? Right. Yeah. That is that is true. And we often forget that. Um, I want to jump quickly into the second quarter. I want to spend some time here because this is one of my favorite. We talk about adversity and assist and you you kind of said it yourself. Swim upstream. Sometimes we don't know that suffering and sacrificing are two different things. And we opt in and say we're suffering. Oh, I'm suffering. It's mm-hmm. like you're opting in to suffer. I mean, you're opting in to suffer. Sacrifice is something that you most likely in most people's lives, if not everyone's life that you have to do, right? Mm-hmm. To get to, to move, maneuver. When we talk about swimming upstream and you talked about SNL, what was the path, your path to get to that place where you're on, you're in this, you're at this iconic table in that room that we always see, like now you're there. What was some of those things that we may not have seen in your story? We may know about your story, but we may not have seen when you were really swimming upstream. Um, I mean, I do think it's, this is such an incredible amount of uh, sacrifices that go into uh, trying to do something big. You know what I mean? Um, kind of like the things that are kind of put in the put in the world as like unattainable. Um, mm-hmm. Because one, they don't have a clear path to get to, right? Like there's these clear pathways you can go. It's like, I'm just going to like graduate, then I'm going to go get like a secure job and then I'm going to work it and then it's going to pay me at the end of the week, this amount of money and I'm going to budget that amount of money. And that's what I'm going to do. And it's kind of like set up. Whereas this is like, you don't know where money's coming from. You don't know if it's coming or when it's coming. You don't, there's so many unknowns and so much of it is just like faith in, in like blind faith, which is a little bit nuts. Uh, when you look back on it and like, I can't believe I was just moving through the world. Like this is all going to work. It's <laughs> crazy. Um, <laughs> But I think I got that confidence because I knew I knew the work I was putting in. I knew the sacrifices I was making. And I think it's very it's a very internal thing as well. Like, you know, you know, when you're pushing yourself to the limit, you know, there's no visual marker. No other person can tell you, you know, when you're you're sacrificing and you know, when you're not, you know, when you're pushing yourself and you know, when you're not, you know, this is like such an internal conversation. And for me, it was just the dedication and consistency. Like I had never done anything with consistency in my life before this. Like where I was like, every day I'm going to do stand-up. Every day, no matter what happens, no matter how much money I have in my pocket, no matter if I have to walk to the show and walk back home six, eight, nine, ten 10 miles, I'm going to do stand-up every single day. No matter if I have to spend this money to go do a show and not eat that night, because I don't have enough money to do a show and eat food and just like hope there's some food at the show or something <laughs> like that. I'm going to do stand up every day. Like even if it's I'm wearing two champion hoodies, one pair of Tim's for the entire winter because I'm not spending any money on clothes, which I love. Um, or sneakers, which I love because I'm like spending that money to submit to comedy festivals and like just putting it back into comedy. And um, 
I had to believe that comedy was going to pay me back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah. And so I just, I just kind of like, I kind of threw everything to the wind. I missed so many uh, family uh, functions and so many moments and so many birthdays and so many weddings and so many funerals and so many graduations and spent a lot of time being isolated <laughs> because mm-hmm. you're on this track and you're in this one track mind and a lot of times people don't get it. So it kind of shrinks your circle because you're not going out. I wasn't going out. I wasn't going to clubs. I was If it wasn't comedy related, I was not doing it. I was like, I don't have space in my life or anything else. So how did those conversations go when you talk about, because I think people could relate to that again in any scope of the work, is that at seasons in your life, you you got to recant, right? There, there's there's a seclusion that needs to occur for success to happen. Mm-hmm. And it could be in anything that you do. And sometimes it comes at the, most times, it comes at the expense of hanging out, being with your loved ones. How did those conversations go with your friends or your family when you decided, yeah, like I'm, I'm cutting back on food, like I'm, I'm fashion as much as I love it. I'm giving up the things that I enjoy. I'm making these sacrifices now because I, I need to make it. Like there's a desire and I'm betting on me. What did that take us through those conversations and and who were those people? Uh, you know, my best friend, Marcus, I mean, I think at some point he got it. But at first he was like, this is like crazy a little bit. You know what I mean? Because he'd be like, yo, you look bummy. And I'm like, I don't care, bro. I, <laughs> I'm like, I don't I don't really care, dog. I'm just I'm just trying to go do these shows. And, you know, my my attitude is really just like if, if I'm on stage and people are looking at my outfit, then I'm not being funny. So we yes. already step one of a problem if. If people are like, ah, I didn't like her hoodie, you know what I mean? Then it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not delivering jokes at that point. Then and so I have a bigger issue than if if this hoodie is fashionable enough or whatever. Um, and I think at first, because we're, you know, we're kids, we're kids from the hood. We in the clothes, you know what I'm saying? We love clothes, we love kicks. So I think at first it was like, bro, you kind of you're wilding. Like, there's a way you could do both. You don't gotta be, and I'm like, nah, it's not, not. Because it's mental. It's like once I start playing that other game, then I'm playing that other game. And I don't want to play that game at all. I want to be so here and so focused on this that I give it every single ounce of my person. You know what I mean? And like, I didn't want to be chasing anything else. And it was like, I don't really care because I'm trying to get out of this. I don't I don't need to be dressed fly to be around y'all. I've been around y'all my whole life. I'm trying to go somewhere. So it's like, I need to, I need to get this done and I need to be like here. But I think once people just saw the consistency and the passion that I have for it, then it was like, oh, keep going. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we're seeing the fire in your eyes and, and we're seeing the motivation and the drive and all this other stuff in you that we haven't seen you have for anything else. So then it was kind of like clear a path and just like get out her way so she could do her thing. And just support as much as you kind of can. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think it was just early on. I think people are always kind of like, you're really about to go hard for comedy. This is such a obtuse, you know, thing. And then once people see you going, they're like, oh, no, she's serious. You know, were there any friends that you, you know, like you said, you had to make this. It was you're at the precipice of of some greatness and you had to forego some of these things. Were there friends that maybe didn't come back and real recognized real, didn't have that moment with you? Did you lose some folks along the way or did everybody just like at first give you side eye, but then they say, they say committed. I mean, I think, I think, I think life, you naturally lose some people along the way, you know? So that definitely happened. It wasn't a big to do. They just kind of fell out of my life, you know, as I just Mm -hmm. kept going and doing and being, 
they just started being around less and less and less and less type of energy. But it wasn't like a breakup per se. It was just kind of when dad looked up and was like, oh, I haven't heard from that person in three years. Weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're kind of like, oh, that's odd. But oh, whatever um, type of thing. And I think it's just because sometimes it's not uh, malicious. You're just going in two different directions, you know, and um, it is what it is kind of thing. And those things, you know, I've learned with time. Those things also circle back sometimes in, in, in very unexpected ways and at very unexpected moments. So I also don't believe any door is closed, you know. Today's podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. If you didn't know, SeatGeek is the official ticketing partner of the Brooklyn Nets. Unlike any other apps, SeatGeek makes buying tickets super simple. Whether you're trying to go to a Nets game, Liberty game, concert, or any other event at Barclays Center, you really only need SeatGeek. SeatGeek puts tickets from all over the web in one place to make buying simple. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I think you you and I share the same like approach of life. Like you go through life and you're just like, it's not finite. Friendships, just because they've ended at, they, they've had a stopping point, doesn't mean they're over completely. Right. And it's it's kind of like, that's how you, that's how we're all able to handle uh, the emotional pro- or process, the emotional mm-hmm. disconnect that we may be feeling about people or individuals as we get older. One um, yes. of the things that you mentioned too, just now is, it's like you're creating the, like you're, you're, basically alluding to that life isn't linear, linear, right? It's not just like uh-huh. one straight path and it's like a jungle gym. So yeah. let's throw it back. When was the first time you knew you were funny? I mean, when I was a kid, I knew it was hard because I was, a, I was a smart aleck and I was very witty when I was little, like seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. 10, 11. I was very like a little sister in a sitcom, you know, like, Sassy would throw it right back at you. I always had like a quick response, a smart, quick response to something. So I used to really piss my family off. That's the truth. Like I used to get on everybody's nerves. Like my older cousins, who like you know, are like brothers to me. You know, we grew up in a very close knit family. My grandmother had eleven kids, so I have a lot of cousins that are like basically brothers, and they would always say like, "I wish you were a boy so I could beat you up." You know, they're like. I hate that. I can't do anything about this. <laughs> if you were a boy, they used to always say to me, like, yo, if you were a boy, whew, you would have caught it by now. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, well, yeah. I'm not. And I was just kept like living, being me. Um, and they would laugh, you know, they would hate that they were laughing because I was also like zinging them. 
So that's when I knew, okay, like there's something, but it was hard to be like, oh, this is something you can do something with. Cause it was also just pissing everybody off. So it was, <laughs> it was like, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to serve me yet, but I know it is a, uh, integral part of my personality to be a, uh, observer and a like, but you said, but then this is what you did type of person. Mm-hmm. My grandma got 10 kids. And the funny thing is, while your boy cousins didn't beat you up, they definitely got my girl cousins to beat me up. So we couldn't, <laughs> it was the same exact rule. Like, yeah, my, like the guys in my family couldn't beat on the girls. Like you, but what we do is you get a, there was a rule. You, you could only, and even older girl cousins, if you're older, you can't beat up on a younger, younger person, older cousin, yeah, right? Sure. So what we would do is you pair each other up with the <laughs> similar age. So I had this one cousin that we would always fight, even if we were friends, but my <laughs> older cousin was like, well, now you got to fight her. Cause she, cause Allie was rude to me. She's like, I don't even want to fight her. And they're like, well, we'll we, somebody's going to fight you. It'll go down the line. Like, we'll create a chain reaction until it gets to Allie. Now you got to fight her because Allie was rude to me. That, literally, we used to be on opposite ends of the hallway and you'd fight the same, the closest Yeah, yeah, no, age. we used to do that too. We used to do that. It was very different because at least yours had some logic. It, ours was just like, it's time to fight each other. You know what I mean? And then it would just be like, Redonna, you got to fight Samaria. Like, Why would fight <laughs> Hence, hence a similarity in families. But uh, we talk about the moments like, okay, your cousins, they they laughed and they obviously you you were a point of contention for the family in the best way. When did you know it was a, it was a, a career? Even before you knew it was a lucrative career, right? You're like, I'm going to do what it takes and take all the hits. But just it being a career, when did you make that conscious decision of, we talked about you made the decision, but when was it where you're like, I'm definitely going to, I'm going to lean into this hardcore. All right, because I, I feel like those are two different questions. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna okay. ask okay. what I think is both because leaning in and then under, realizing you have a career are like two different. Because you're, I think when you're leaning in, you're still just like poor, and you're just like, I hope something happens because <laughs> I'm leaning in. You know, I'm going hard. So I think when I've decided, like, yo, I'm gonna go hard. I'm gonna go hard for this. It was really like before my first mic. I had I was at my cousin's house. And I was just, I was talking about something, something crude and crass, but we were having this conversation and the whole living room was just dying laughing. And it was like my cousin's friends that I didn't know, some of my cousins. And like, I was just on a, I was on a tier and everyone was just like doubled over. And I was like, man, I'm going to do it. You know, like in my head, I was like, yo, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I called my homie Antonio and I was like, bro, I called him the next day and I was like, bro, I'm about to just go hard with comedy. And he was like, what you mean go hard? I was like, I'm about to just put everything I have into it. I'm just about to go crazy. And he was like, you serious? And I was like, yeah, like, that's what I'm gonna do. And then I went to my first mic. I got booed and there was this wait, kid there. Wait, wait, wait. You got, so you're on stage, you're talking and people just booing. The guy just starts booing me. It was like at a bar and they they were like, it was, they were, it was a weird situation where like comedy was being forced on these people. So already I didn't think it was going to go well. And then, you know, they made them turn off the TVs and like they were watching football. You know what I'm saying? So they just weren't in the mood for it. I didn't take it super personal. <laughs> and then I got booed or whatever. And um, there was this kid there and he told me, his name was Justin P. Drew. And he told me about all the other mics in the city. Like he was like, oh, if you want to know where the rest of the mics are, he like, he was like, 
entrenched in the scene at this time. And so he was like, here's everywhere to go. Like literally just wrote it down on a piece of paper. and was like, here. And um, I went, I went the next day. I went and I just kept, I just kept going. And I knew I was going to give it a year. That's what I told myself. I said, you're going to go hard. Like every day you're going to dedicate yourself fully to this thing for a year. And if you look up in a year and you're further further than you were when you started, you're going to put your head down for another year and do it again. And like, that was like how I kind of micromanaged it. Mm-hmm. And then when I realized I had a career was maybe three years ago, <laughs> four years ago where I was like, oh, I could probably figure out a way to do this for a long time. Well, what had changed in that time? So obviously you had, you got booed, you started doing the circuit, you set your metric for success, which is very similar to what Seth Curry said about his, his basketball career. He gave himself a year. And it was one of those things like you've identified a timeline, you set a metric for success. We're looking at the progress. You have this scope. You've seen the progress, obviously. What happened between that time where you saw progress and three years ago that wasn't a career for you? Growth, right? Because when I first started, I was just a stand-up. And like, all I wanted to do was like, get, like my goal was to get an hour. I was like, I just want to do an hour of comedy. I just want to put an hour out. And like, that's all I wanted to do. You know what I mean? Like, that was the scope of what I was thinking about. I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking past the hour of what happens. I was just like, I want to do an hour and I hope it's good. You know, I wasn't even thinking past the hour, what, what could be. But growth, right? Doing it, getting opportunities starting to be, uh, you know, put in front of the camera, starting to learn what that feels like for me, getting a writing job at SNL, realizing that also there's this writer in me that wants to write. And so having these different skill sets being introduced to me and then getting the spaces and the opportunities to hone them, let me see like, oh, it's more than just stand up. Like you're a creative talent. And in that is a career, you know, that's where the career happens. That's when you start to see like, oh, I can be doing this in this realm for maybe six years because I could be developing this TV show and I could also be working on my next hour and I could also be writing a movie and I could also maybe write a book if I want. And so like, that's when it was like, oh snap, I have all these avenues now open to me to Mm -hmm. do these things, right? I have people I can tap to have these conversations for real not just in the ether, but I can call a publishing company that is interested in me and go, hey, I have a book here. Let's talk about it. Or I can meet with networks and go, hey, I have a show here. Let's talk about it. And to me, that's the career of it because that's when you can sustain it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You became, like you said, the owner and the creator around concepts. And I think oftentimes we forget or and or don't know that when you sit at a table, people aren't just spewing ideas and, and, and job titles. It's almost like you have to come prepared of where do I see myself adding Mm -hmm. to this company, this scene, this production, like Mm -hmm. in, in every evolution of yourself, you actually have to tell the people at the table how you see yourself involved. Mm -hmm. And I think we forget because, and I forget often because when I think of the evolution of my career as well, I'll go in meetings and I'm thinking these folks about to tell me what they want me to do. And the first thing they say is, you know, they give the spiel and they're like, so what would you like to do? Tell us your dream. And I'm like, what what do you mean? I I don't have one. I'm I'm living it. Like, you know, and and it's like, you have to create that space to look beyond that hour. The hour isn't necessarily obsolete, 
it's just not the only thing. Yeah, and, it's not the not, only and that's thing. how I used to be. So like when I first got to Hollywood, I wouldn't say I had a career yet because I was taking all these meetings and people were like interested and they'd be like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I just want to do stand up. I'm a stand up and that's that. And they'd be like, have you ever thought about writing anything? And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, okay. And they're looking at me like, that's awesome, but we, what can we do with this? You know what I mean? Like we, as a, a, a thing that needs creative content, there's not much we could do here if you don't do nothing else, but, but this thing, you know what I'm saying? And I had to grow in confidence and in the industry and learn some shit, truly just get an education, which is so key. Like no, no matter how you get it, I don't think you need to get it in a formal school, but education is the fuel to confidence in my opinion. The more mm-hmm. educated you are by nature, the more confident you are. The more you know, the more you can stand on it and talk the way you want to talk. You know what I mean? If that yeah. makes sense. And so the education changed my brain. And I was like, oh no, I do want, actually I do want to do that. And I do want to do this. And now I go into meetings and I'm like, yo, these are my ideas. You know what I'm saying? This is what I'm thinking about. These are things I want to develop. This is stuff I would like to see in the world. These are the type of things I would like to create. And I think that gives the meetings more fuel. And I think a lot of times people get into this industry and they get a manager and they get an agent and then they like make a career for me. And that's, that's, that's not what they do. And they're like, well, my manager sucks and my agent sucks. And I'm like, but what are you giving them? Have you brought them stuff to manage? Because if all you got them doing is like, I don't know, calling and booking you show, like you could book shows. So it's like, you have to give them stuff to like do. If you don't give them things to do, you got to think your manager's also their own person who's trying to build a career. So they got 15 other clients besides you, let's say, and you the one client, like all I do is stand up or all I do is this. And then they got 14 other people who are like, I got a script. I got this. I got giving them stuff to do. Those people are going to become the priority because they're giving them tangibles and you're giving them your dream. And like, not to be rude, but who gives a fuck about that? They can't do anything with that. It's one of the things that I've learned as well in that I think the larger my team is, the less I have to work. And it's actually the antithesis. It's actually the larger my team is, the more I have to work because I have to be strategic in every area of my life and scope out how they're going to influence or what their role is in that strategy. And then I... Exactly. And then I have to execute and perform. I am still just similar to you. Like once you're on stage, your manager's not standing there on stage. Please welcome Sam J and her manager. They don't do the, they don't do the performance. They don't do the acting. They don't do the scenes. They don't do the studying. And then when you're sitting at the table, they don't think for you either. Mm -mm. So it's one of those things that what I've recognized. And again, I, I, I always try to make this available to every folk that's listening is that you want to, a lot of and I think a lot of people can do strategy or ideation, right? And most people can do, many people can do it well. It's very few people that can ideate or strategize and execute. And yes. that to me is the unlock for success for many folks that we look up to. And yes. that's what you do well. And I have to say, thank you, is that we don't do that by ourselves. In the in, in the second quarter, we talk about assist. We don't get there by ourselves, right? Many of the folks that you leaned into when you called and was like, hey, this is a real thing, is because you trust their word. That if on the other side of that phone, if you said, I'm gonna do comedy for real, if the, you trust that if they said nah. Like, and they told you why you might not have pursued it in the way you would have, but they said yes. And you trusted that. And I often say you find your careers one of two ways is you've known you since you were a little kid. I'm only going to do stand up for the rest of my life and nothing has deterred you or 
people tell you what you're good at. Mm-hmm. In as we come to the end of the second quarter before halftime, who are those folks that and 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 I know you mentioned, forgive me, it was um it was Julian Peters, like who gave you the the names of every um Oh, Justin Pedro. Justin, sorry, Pedro, mm-hmm. Justin Pedro, who gave you all, you know, that's a, that is a layup right there. He like alley ooped it so you can, you know, that's it. So you can dunk it. Who were some of those folks that along the journey, um, not currently, because we're gonna get to it, but along the journey that you would say uh were your assists? Man, just all my friends, you know, like I was very lucky to have very supportive like friends, like my best friend Marcus was just, you know, like supportive. Would come to, with me to shows and mics, and you know what I'm saying. Um, my friend Rashid would come to me with shows or drive me, drop me off at open mics and pick me up. You know what I mean? Um, my homie Macongo drove me all the way to Connecticut for no money to do like a show in like a Jamaican restaurant. You know what I'm saying? Just to like make sure I was staying on it and and like. Not in the fact that, oh, I didn't have a car, I didn't have money or gas, like stop me from going. Just all all my homies, my my homie Michelle, who saw me walking to work one day because I was broke because I spent my money that night to go to a show and drove me to work. And she didn't even know what she had done for me because it was freezing. And I was like, how the hell am I even going to keep this up? You know what I'm saying? And like just all those type of moments on the way to what I was doing, you know, my fiance, who I've known for a long time, you know, since college, who, who, when I first even started talking about wanting to do comedy years before I had the balls to actually try it, because I was so scared of myself and my dream and, and brought me to an improv class for my birthday. And I screamed at her. I was so mad at her because she was like putting it in my face, like to do what I said I wanted to do. And I wasn't emotionally ready and still so afraid for so many reasons of myself and my potential. And I was like, I'm not doing this. And and I like stormed out and she still like stayed my friend (laughs) and loved me still uh, through that kind of stuff. And, um, saw me develop and, and came to shows and, and came to Asheville and slept in a room, a two, we had a little hotel room and a crappy hotel with two beds. And cause my homie tone drove. So he was sleeping in one bed snoring and me and her was sleeping in the other bed and like, you know, just supported me at, and, and I had a bad set and got drunk as hell that night. Cause I felt like I ruined my career because it was like my first festival and I was like I bombed and I'm gonna never be anything so I like spun out and drank a bunch of vodka and probably wasn't pleasant uh the evening before you know so (laughs) it's like all those it was so many people you know so many people in so many moments and you know what I do love I do love when I ask this question um when folks show up on this this podcast like you where you are you are literally giving the credit rolls of the movie you're like you you are you are handing out flowers, which is so important because I don't think we get anywhere by ourselves. And why wait to say thank you to the folks? Uh, and why wait to to acknowledge them? You know what I mean. So I appreciate that. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. 
you'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, let's let's step into halftime. So, um, I got to tell you, being a comedian, I think, is one of the hardest jobs. And I know folks out there are like rolling their eyes because I say this all the time, but I think it's true. And the reason for that is they say, you know, one of the number one fears public speaking. And so um, it's not easy getting up, not only talking, but having to make people laugh like 20 times in just five minutes, right? Like keep the energy. So I truly respect that. I wanna, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, a little bit of a this or that. And I just want you to pick one thing. And it has to be quick. Every time I tell somebody on this conversation that it's quick, they, they take their time. It's going to be short. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be quick. Okay. Okay. I'm quick. All right. All right. Okay. Stand up or uh, an hour special on TV, like live stand up or scripted. Stand up. Okay. Uh, day or night? Night. Okay. Um, breakfast for breakfast or breakfast for dinner? Breakfast for breakfast. Ooh. Okay. Uh, movie or podcast? Movie. Um, when it comes to, ooh, when it comes to picking one of your friends to hang out with or having all your friends sleep over your house? One friend. No. After all that, we talked about these friends. You said you're only going to pick one to hang out with. (laughs) Would you rather have, and this is the last one, you're doing stand-up, which is your favorite. You have one person like literally dying laughing the entire set or you have everybody laughing lightly the entire set. One person getting destroyed. <laughs> For sure. I am that one person. All right, <laughs> let's let's uh let's jump into the third quarter. That was quick. Half time. That was I told you it was quick, it's cute, it's done. It's because I got I got more to talk to you about. You're if you want more, more funny, Sam J, you could just turn on TV, okay? I because for me, the reason I started Course Our Conversation is one of the things that, and I'm still curious on many levels just in life, you can talk about learning and things like that, is the how-to. You look at someone's life through a small aperture called my TV, called Instagram or social media, or you just you on the street looking fly as hell in the best new, you know, sweatshirt right? Best new hoodie. And you think this person has it all together or somehow they were able to unlock it and I wasn't. And what I thought would be profound and has been very beneficial for me is conversation. Conversation is the catalyst of change, hearing somebody's story and hearing literally the how of their story, not just the highlights, the how of the of the lowlights of their story, right? You mm-hmm. talked about that time you were just down and you got booed and you got wasted right after. And the third quarter, that's what I want to focus on is understanding not only some of the process before you get on stage and after you get on stage, but some of the process of getting to the places that you got some of these touch points. Right. So I do want to take it back to getting booed. How does it feel to get booed? Tell me, no, no, I, I could imagine, but how does it feel to Sam J getting booed, knowing that maybe you walked in prepared, you gave it everything you had. What, what happens to you emotionally? Um, okay, so this is this is the honest answer. I've only been booed that one time. Not to say mm-hmm. I'll be booed, never be booed again, but only actually like boo that one time. 
And I didn't care because I understood the circumstances. I was like, you're being forced to listen to me. You don't want to, you would rather watch football. Like this really has nothing to do with if I'm capable of this or not. And this has everything to do with like the circumstances of the environment we're in right now. So I just didn't, I was like, whatever, (laughs) It's, it's not the end of the fucking world. But I have thought about it. Like what would what like mentally, because it could happen, what would you do? And um, I cannot say what I'd actually do. But what I what I have told myself through this whole thing is everybody's not going to like you um, and everybody's not going to take to what you're saying. Like, that's just not how this is going to work or play out. There are going to be people who dislike you. There are going to be people who think you are bad at comedy. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I get that for sure. Like I've definitely walked people in shows. I've definitely had people DM me and tell me that I'm not funny. Um, this lady just the other day commented under one of my, you people posts and she was like, I don't know how this bum got on Netflix. I was at the cellar and she was doing this shit joke about Dahmer. She fucking sucks, you know, like, and I was like, oh yeah, that's how she feels. You know what I mean? I don't, I can't can't really do anything about that. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody's not going to like what you're doing. And also this is such a process. Comedy is such a process. Live performance of any kind is such a process. And, and the people who do it, you know, aside from me, the people who do any type of live performance are so brave because we're doing the process in front of the people and we're allowing you to judge the process. So it's like, sometimes the jokes are bad because they're not done or they're not ready or they're not a complete thought. And the only way for me to work on the joke is to get on stage and do the joke. So sometimes you might catch a weird tangent about Jeffrey Dahmer and that might not have been what you came to the comedy store for that day. And so you're disappointed and angry. The thing that frustrates me about people like that woman is um, because you don't like it, you assume it should not exist. And I think that that oh. is nutty. It's like people, feel, they're like, I didn't like this, so I don't understand why it's in the world. And it's like, yeah, but someone probably doesn't like you but you're still getting to walk around and like be and do do your thing. So this idea that just because you don't like something, it shouldn't exist is, is nuts to me. Or just because you didn't get it, other people don't. Or it doesn't service somebody else just because it doesn't service you, you know? And I think especially because of the internet giving so many voices power in a good and bad way, I think people think that their opinion matters so fucking much when it just doesn't <laughs> in actual like real time. And that's really nuts to me because I, I could never imagine. I know there's a lot of art I don't like, but I could never imagine like going on that person's page and being like, I don't fucking like you because like I don't have yeah. to like it. That's the reality of it is maybe it just wasn't for me. And there's other art out here that is for me and I should just go experience that. Um, So that's like the frustrating part, you know, is like, Damn, bro, I'm still like a person and I didn't want to wake up on a on a Saturday morning to some random lady saying I'm bad at the thing I love to do. Like, that's not mm-hmm. fun. You know what I mean? But <laughs> and you got to just put all these things into a perspective. And and in that way, I don't take any of it personal because it's not they don't know me. But how do you process it? What are your methods of sustaining or maintaining? Um, and or protecting that peace, right? The mental well-being, because 
I'm with you as someone who is public and this is, we've opted in, like we've tapped in, you know, it was like tap in, we tap, 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 sweetie time. Like we did that. And we get that there are consequences and there are downsides that come in with any decision we make. And these are part of the consequences. But I will say there, there have been seasons of my life and I'm just coming out of a season, but in the past, the recent season, it's affected me so much that I have lost my, my internal confidence. I, I don't want to say I lost my external confidence because I know how to, I know how to put on a show, right? The performance of Ali and other performance Ali comes out, but inside I've, I'm dying, you know, like I, I'm literally dying on the inside because somehow I've, because of repetition or seeing comments and maybe it's not a lot, maybe it's a couple of times, but it's that, that raindrop that makes that ripple that somehow these comments are a reflection of myself, even though I can rationalize it to your point. Not everybody's going to like me. I'm not going to like everybody. That person got people that don't like them or their work. The hardest thing, just like an athlete, is like when you're in the public eye, what we do, it's, it's our art form. It's not like it's, it's objective. It's subjective in the sense of we are the product. We are the experience. We are the business. We are the brand. And we are the people. We are persons. Mm-hmm. And it it does affect us in terms of that. So for folks that are listening that maybe, you know, maybe they got some feedback today that not just because they don't like it doesn't mean it isn't true, but it is hard to deal with mm-hmm. um, or hard to compartmentalize or hard to say, you know, F it like to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how have you, what's that scope look like for you in terms of processing it? Um, you know, I, I'm protective of my synergy in a big way. And so one thing is I try not to, I don't go looking for stuff. I don't search my name. I don't, mm. I don't go looking for things. Unless you at me directly, I won't see it because I don't go searching for things. Unless someone sends me an article, I don't see it. Unless someone says like, oh, there was this write-up, I don't see it. And usually even when people send stuff like that to me, I, I don't really read it. I might skim through it. Well, I'll ask them first, like, is it good? Because I don't need a lot of like, I don't mind criticism, but I don't need a lot of negativity because I'm already being like hella vulnerable. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. it's when, yo, I see this and I see what this person is trying to do, but I think that execution might be a little off and they could da 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 da. I can eat that. But when these blogs are doing like, and this is trash and it's like, I can't get into that energy. So as soon as those type of tones start to come, I tune out. I'm not even giving it the rest of my time. It's like, all right, this doesn't deserve my energy because I, I don't, whatever. Now, if it's like a kind of a racist comment or someone calling me fat or black or stupid bitch or whatever little fun shit they want to do, you know, I simply just block. It's like immediately you're blocked. Immediately. Immediately. So there's no mm-hmm. <laughs> engagement past block. That's crazy because that's nuts that you would come saying things like that to somebody. And that already lets me know, like, this is a youth problem and not a me problem. Because even if you don't like what I'm doing to come on my page and call me a stupid black bitch is just a personal thing that has nothing to do with me, Sam, the person. So you go figure yourself out. Now, if I'm in like a good, silly mood, I might fuck with them. They might call me like a silly black bitch and I'll be like, hey, baby, what's wrong with you today? (laughs) (laughs) You mad? Like, what's happening? (laughs) Because you're going through a lot. Like, uh, which is funny and fun sometimes. My girl hates when I do it. She's like, don't even do that. But sometimes it cracks me how does she handle it? Because I think it's it's like, a, even though there's a separation, there's it's a hard separation because your girlfriend is an extension of you and you do talk about her a lot, mm-hmm. not just in this conversation, but in your standups and things like that, which is, you know, it's great because we get insight into who she is and who you are. But how does she handle that? 
I think at first, like with the first special, she wasn't expecting so many people to be at her in different ways that it was like hard for her. Like she was like, this is not what I signed up for. I think now she's like me in a sense where she's just like, people are fucking dumb. You know, like, what can you really do about it? Because you can't do, you can't do anything. And a lot of times, like when I do engage people, they just sad, bro. They just like, you know, like mm-hmm. they was like yelling at me. And then I was like, hey, ma'am, how was your Tuesday? And she was like, it's actually not going great. And I was like, well, what's what's going on, baby? Because clearly that's that's where we're at. And that's what you need right now, because you're just spiraling and yelling at me for no reason. I have nothing to do with this. You know what I'm saying? Or like anytime I engage like that, it's usually like I'm never like I sometimes I'm like, shut up, you fucking asshole. But for the most part, I just be like, hey, baby, I just want you to have a good day. Like maybe get a green juice and take a walk because whatever this is it shouldn't be working you up this way like we don't know each other dog I love that the green juice is the <laughs> advice to calm down I maybe that is maybe that's yeah. a missing link um when when I am like feeling <laughs> feeling jazzy maybe that's the missing link because I didn't have my my green juice you know what I mean it's I love that just chill chill all right let's step into the fourth quarter before we round out this courtside conversation um Oftentimes people say, well, what's next? What's going on? Obviously you have a lot going on, right? And you, you, we talked about it and touched on it of just like how you not only do stand up, but you do all these other buckets and you come to the table and you're prepared and you're thinking of your life in that capacity of what is next and how do these things intersect? So let's talk about in this fourth quarter, as we round out the conversation, what is now, what are you going deeper in instead of going wider, right? Like of all the things that you have going on, what are you just like in this season, in this moment, this week, this month, I'm just really digging deep. And what does that look like? Um, I mean, right now for me, it's the special because I'm shooting another special in June. And so it's around the corner and like, I finally feel like I have it thematically a sense of what it is. And um, the, at least the big, big picture jokes I know. And so it's just like, now it's like dig in time. It's like touring my ass off, uh, going to cities. I hate <laughs> doing as much stand up as possible. Like to the point where, uh, I hate the jokes, you know, to the point where I'm like, I never want to like say this shit again in my life. Um, And just really knowing the act front to back and inside out, you know, like really understanding it and just having the rhythm and the pace of it. um, So that when when it's go time and it's live at five, I'm I'm ready for whatever I'm I'm, I'm ready to deviate from it because I know how to get back to it. I'm 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 ready to be very in the moment because I understand all the mechanisms of it. You know what I mean? Like I'm ready for if it if the if the set changes is anyway or a joke I decide it needs to come earlier, I'm still good and in the pocket because I know how to move all this stuff around now. So it's like just really making sure it's, you know, tight. It's my second special. I just want it to at least live up to the first one. If if not, uh, you know, supersede the first one. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm just thinking about that all the time. I'm, I'm sleeping, thinking about jokes. I wake up and write things in my phone or how it's going to look. It's just like all encompassing in my, it's taking up most of my uh, creative brain right now. Wow. I don't even know how to think about a joke. The only thing I've thought about that I thought was even remotely funny lately is I didn't realize that a glove compartment or a glove box was for gloves. 
I did. I didn't know that in my whole Makes life. Sense. I didn't really know that, but now that you say it, it's kind of like because people use a used to use driving gloves because of steering wheel. I didn't get that far, Sam, because then I was like, well, how come we don't have a coat box? Because then people get cold. See, oh, it, wow. I went on a spiral. That's the close. In my I mind, that's the closest. I get to a quote unquote joke story. And it's it's already hard, which is why I say it is really challenging what you do. And I know we all sign up for challenging things, but it's like you're at the mercy of, of entertaining a crowd. And I think that that is, I, I, I applaud you because one of the things that I enjoy doing my one of my top things I enjoy doing is laughing. It is one of my favorite things to do. And you afford me that opportunity more frequently than not. So I want to thank you. I also want to thank you so much for joining us on Courtside Conversation. Now, for those folks that have listened all the way to the end, and maybe they know you, maybe they're a fan, but also maybe they just they just got their introduction to you. What would you leave um, us with in terms of explaining who? Because we've talked about the what, the why, the how in four quarters at this at this game called Life. What would you leave them with of the who Sam J is in a couple words? Um, who Sam J is? Uh, Sam J. You know, I'm just a person who got dealt the average hand that folks get dealt. You know, um, grew up with not a lot of money. My mom passed away when I was 16. My dad passed away when I was young. Um, so definitely a person who didn't have a a setup who kind of had to go out and and figure it out for real. Um, And I did mostly because of my faith in God and my belief in my own abilities. And that was the blessing that I got from my mom. So I would say I'm just a person who was willing to fucking try. Wow. You... You are trying, you are doing, and you have done. Once again, everyone, Sam J, comedian, writer. We did it. And she's trying. And we love it. Thank you so much for taking a courtside (laughs) seat. You You are winning at this game called Life. We will follow you along. And again, for those of you that are listening, thank you so much for staying to the end. Because guess what? There's more to come. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, Sam J. Thank you. Thank you. This is cool. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.